You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. We are inching towards the home stretch right here as the infamous final seven games are on the horizon. Four games versus the Braves, three games versus the Yankees. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably tired of me talking about that, but I was very nervous heading into these seven games with them being important. They were going to be important no matter what, but how important would they be? The Marlins tread water against the Nationals. They could have been worse. They definitely could have been better, but they were lucky to salvage one of the games in the doubleheader yesterday. There's no way around that whatsoever. So I'm going to talk about what's been working for the Marlins a little bit and what hasn't been, how I think they should move forward, and then also a little preview for the Brave series because that should be interesting in terms of matchups. It could be worse for the Marlins. They have some good opportunities for the offense to break out, but again, We have seen opportunities for the Marlins offense to break out, and they don't. And then sometimes when we don't expect them to do well, they do. So it's been very unpredictable in in general. And I know baseball is unpredictable, but the Marlins have been even more Jekyll and Hyde than usual. That's going to be something that they need to iron out, obviously. But if you can't beat some of the pitchers that the Marlins are facing down this stretch here, because even the Yankees matchups, they have some pretty good pitching matchups in terms of probables. They're not a playoff team, so this is going to be a good test to see where they can gauge themselves because obviously the Braves and Yankees are great offenses, but they're running into some mediocre pitching. You know, They don't get Garrett Cole most likely against the Yankees. They do get Max Fried in Game 4, but other than that, three pretty mediocre starting pitchers from the Braves. So the Marlins really need to put it together offensively and put together some quality starts on the mound. And then, of course, the bullpen, which is where I'm going to start because the bullpen needs to shrink a little bit. And I'm not saying actually remove guys from the roster, but we're hitting this point now where you got to pick five or six guys that you really trust and three that you really, really trust. And those are the guys you use in high leverage, right? So I've talked about Brandon Kinsler a ton in the past, and I still think that he is a valuable spot in the back end of the rotation. And I'm not going to beat a dead horse because you already know where I stand on that. But You know, you look at the 21-inning sample size, he's just a ticking time bomb right now. The fact that his ERA is in the twos is really just defying all odds because in 21 innings, he's walked eight and struck out 11. He's given up 20 hits, which is good for a 5.10 FIP. And what happens when we see the FIP that far off from the ERA? You know what happens. Eventually, things all come back to normal. It regresses to the mean, and the ERA explodes. We saw it with Zach Gallen. We've seen it time and time again with all kinds of pitchers. I really don't want to see that explosion or that truth moment happen in a vital game, in a vital save opportunity, whether it's in these final seven games, whether it's in the playoffs. I'd rather see Kinsler in some lower leverage situations. Again, he's still valuable to this bullpen, especially when you need a ground ball. But I just do not want to see the Marlins realizing that this guy is not their closer when it's too late. I think it's really time to take a look at everything and realize that you need a better swing and miss guy and a more consistent strike thrower 
Even though Kinsu has been a consistent strike thrower in the past, he isn't this year. He's falling behind in counts. He's not getting swings and misses. The 254 BABIP is by far the lowest of his career. So how many signs do you need to point towards Kinsler inevitably regressing? That's what the Marlins need to realize now, but Don Mattingly doesn't make changes until he's forced to, and peripherals aren't going to force him to. It's going to be getting shelled on the field is what's going to force Mattingly to make that move. And unfortunately, with every game mattering so much, that could be too late for the Marlins. The rest of the bullpen, I think Kinsler still is a high-leverage high opportunity guy, even if he's not the closer. Obviously, Yimmy Garcia, Brad Boxberger, Richard Blyer, James Hoyt. I think those guys are Tier 1, where you're going to go to them late in the ball game, in the most important ball games, and no matter what, that's the guy you're going to go to. Then Tier 2, which is like 6th inning, 7th inning, maybe you're up a couple runs, maybe a little bit lower leverage, you need somebody to fill in because you just taxed a couple of the guys that are tier one in the last ball game or in the last few ball games. I'm confident enough in Nick Vincent to be able to go out there and battle. He's fringe tier one for me with how he's looked this year. Ryan Stanick, he, he's a roller coaster ride, right? We were hoping that he would be something more. I think the fact that Tampa was willing to throw him in with an, a top 100 prospect was pretty telling that they knew he was probably going to regress a little bit, though Stanick has good stuff. And I, I want to see Stanek put it together because I do like him. He's also got a great personality. seems like a great clubhouse guy. But he just has not been good since he came over to the Marlins. Still going to put him in that Tier 2 spot because he does get swings and misses. He does have the ability to be you know, a solid reliever if it all comes together. Josh A. Smith, very hot and cold, but overall has been a very good contributor to this bullpen, especially during the whole COVID time. So I, I do like Josh Smith in a lower leverage type of tier two situation. And then Steven Tarpley. I would say he's fringe tier two to tier one because Tarpley looked really, really good right before he got hurt. Had his best outing, I think four Ks over just an inning and a third. But we don't know what he's gonna look like right when he comes back. Obviously there could be some rust there and he doesn't really have much time to shake it off. So the Marlins need to figure that out and see where he's at before, again, he's thrown into a situation where you find out and it's too late. The tier three, which is like emergency type of guys, I think Nick Neidert's got to be there right now. I really still like Nick Neidert as a starter, and I want to see him as a starter in spring training next year or even you know in the beginning of the season. But right now, he just isn't the type of guy that seems comfortable coming out of the bullpen. He's also also a guy that likes to you know work at his own rate. He likes to really get hitters to get themselves out. He's a pitch to contact kind of guy. Typically, those guys aren't really great out of the bullpen, and I want to see Neidert as a starter. He doesn't have much experience as a reliever. It's a very different type of situation when you're coming out of the bullpen versus starting, and I think he's much more comfortable as a starter. So we'll have to see if he's really an option for the Marlins. I think in an emergency situation, if you need him to eat innings, whether it is in the postseason or whether it is down the stretch here, I do like Neidert to be that guy still. I think he still belongs on the roster because he can also be a great guy to make an emergency start. Right now, it seems like he, he's a good option. He's more poised in that regard. Dan Castano. I, I think you know where I stand with Robert Duggar, and I'm not going to beat a dead horse there either because I think I've been made aware that I'm a little too harsh on Robert Duggar. So I'm just going to let the statistics speak for themselves there, and there really is no reason for him to be coming out of the bullpen for the Marlins at all in the rest of the season and the postseason. Dan Castano, I think, has earned a spot more so because – Castano has been able to get outs, whether he's starting, relieving. You know, he's not going to be a lights-out guy, but 
I think he really benefits from a larger Marlins park. That's not going to help him, you know, on the road or in some other spots. But theoretically speaking, wherever they're playing, if it's in Arlington, if they make it that far, that's a pretty big park. He should be okay there. But still, overall, I think Castano has been one of the most consistent guys of those tier three that have been getting called up and moved down and called up and moved down. I think Castano has handled that the best. And I would give him the nod for that other emergency bullpen guy. And I think he could even be a little bit better. I think he could pitch his way into tier two. Even though he's not really a good lefty-lefty splits guy, he's kind of even across. That's fine because he doesn't get shelled by righties. And again, he can get guys out. I wouldn't mind Castano in that position as well. The offense is a very up-and-down type of situation right now where you're looking at Jesus Aguilar, who's been one of the best contributors on this ball club, kind of struggling. And he's four for his last 26, no extra base hits, 10Ks. The weird thing about Aguilar is he's not chasing any more than he was before, which I'd almost prefer. I'd almost prefer him just chasing a little bit more and he has to just say, okay, I'm being too aggressive. Let's take a deep breath and scale it back. But the problem is he's actually swinging and missing at more off-speed pitches in the zone. He's seeing more off-speed pitches, which is change-ups, and he's missing them in the zone which I would not prefer to the former. And the swing and miss is almost twice as much on changeups in the zone as it was last month when he was going well. So we'll see what happens with Aguilar. I still have faith in him to be able to put it together over these last seven games here and contribute to the Marlins. But the 10 strikeouts and 26 at-bats is very uncharacteristic of him because we know that he's been a low strikeout rate guy this season and a relatively low strikeout rate guy his entire career. So let's see if Aguilar can put it together. I think the scouting report is clear on him. It's go to the changeup, and he has not been able to lay off it too well. Also, when he's in these hitters' counts sometimes, he's getting these changeups in the zone, and he's swinging at them. I'd rather him almost take a pitch there because you're seeing him almost wave at these changeups on the outer half in a 2-1 count and making a weak swing at it. That's a waste of a hitter's count. So we'll see what Aguilar is able to do and whether he's able to adjust. But I'll bet on the veteran who was having a really, really good year being able to put it together and calm down and, and sort this all out. It's not like he's in a panic mode here where 4 for 26 is rough, but it could be much worse. We'll see how he is able to turn things around if he is able to. It's obvious that Jazz Chisholm isn't ready. He's over his last 13 125 on the season, but John Birdie's back, so Birdie should be the consistent guy there at second base, and he is just a really big spark plug for this team, so very happy to see him back. Another interesting toss-up type of situation here is Magnera Sierra and Monte Harrison. We know that both of them are speedsters. Magnera Sierra is a contact-first guy. Harrison, obviously a power guy that's really struggled with swing and miss at the big league level this year, but the big thing for them both is You could say, okay, Sierra is the perfect guy to fill in that role of Monte to be even at the very least pinch runner or, you know, defensive replacement. And he can swipe bags just like Monte does. But Mags is not as good of a base dealer as Monte Harrison. It's honestly not even close. Sierra is still really working on that part of his game. He's 12 for 20 in his big league career in terms of swiping bags. That's not going to cut it when you really need to take that extra bag in the postseason or in important games you know, we all know how important it is to be able to take that bag and how it can change the whole situation, how it can put more pressure on the pitcher. We've seen it happen already this season. Monte Harrison's five for five, but it's not just a regular five for five. He's taken third base on Real Muto. He's taken second base on Real Muto. He's being crazy aggressive 
and he's still able to swipe these bags. It's bordering like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, he's safe. Like that's what it's been with Monte Harrison. And I think you kind of need that. And I always think about Dave Roberts swiping second base. And that's like what I think of Monte Harrison being able to do for the Marlins in a big game this year. And that's what his role has been. Obviously, you'd like to see him contribute offensively. I just don't think that's going to happen this year. But his value defensively and his value on the base paths, he's like a glorified Gerard Dyson for this stretch here. I'm not saying that's his profile long term, but right now, that's what he looks like. And he's that guy, but can also run into a baseball. God forbid you have to put him into the lineup in a big situation. There's always a chance that he can put it out of the yard, which is something that most guys that are that speedster profile type aren't going to be able to do for you. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is great for the health conscious guy. Whether you want to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, Built Bar is a great option for you. Six brand new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream. You got carrot cake on top of 12 already really good flavors. One of my favorite original flavors being peanut butter. Even double chocolate is delicious and all of them are under 200 calories. A flavor profile real quick, cookies and cream. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. It almost doesn't seem believable when you take a bite out of it because you would expect it to almost have candy bar type of ingredients, but it doesn't. And even better, if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order at BuiltBar.com and you will get a free cooler with your purchase as long as supplies last. That's BuiltBar.com promo code LOCKEDON. So very quickly, just glancing over the Marlins-Braves pitching matchups down the stretch here because this is something that could have been worse for the Marlins, and I think they have a pretty favorable situation here where they can put up some runs and give some insurance to their pitchers, though you'd like to see some potentially better pitching options in the first two games for the Marlins, but I think the Braves could say the same thing. Trevor Rogers versus Enoa. I think that's how you say his name, Y-N-O-A, Enoa. I should know that, but I honestly have never heard a broadcaster say it. We're just going to assume it's that. Enoa has been pretty bad as a starter. You know, his numbers aren't great, but when you look at his numbers as a starter, an 8.38 ERA, I think the Marlins can jump all over him as a starter. But again, every time I think that, they don't. So we'll see what happens. Trevor Rogers obviously has struggled over his last couple outings. I'm very interested to see how he bounces back. I think that Rogers has a chance here to work things out. He's not a big splits guy, so even if the Braves go righty heavy, he could still have a lot of success. I want to see how he adjusts here and whether he's able to command the zone and get ahead of batters because that was the big question for him. Of course, game two, Jose Urania versus Cole Hamels. Jose Urania just always has to face the Braves. We've talked about that in the past. Let's just pray that he does not hit Ronald Acuna because I just can't deal with that again. But Cole Hamels made his first start of the season against the Orioles. Did not look great. Three innings, gave up three runs. And most telling was his velocity, lowest by far of his entire career, only 88 miles per hour on the fastball from Hamels. We'll see if he can get a little uptick in that velocity in this second start. But if he doesn't, it could be a type of Tommy Malone situation where the Marlins jumped all over a soft-throwing lefty, and that could be a great opportunity for the Fish also. 88 miles per hour for Hamels, obviously well off from 
the mid-90s he used to sit out, but even the low 90s that he was at last year. So we'll see how Hamels looks in his second start. Sixto versus Tomlin. That should be an interesting matchup because Sixto, obviously coming off of his worst start of the year. Again, he, he's really got to adjust against teams that he's already faced. The Braves went heavy right-handed stacking the lineup against him last time, and he was very solid. But they also know what to expect a little bit more this time. We'll see if Sixto can adapt and adjust. He's going to face Tomlin, who was more of an opener type of guy in the beginning of the season. Now the Braves are trying to stretch him out as a little bit more of a starter, but he's only pitched more than four innings once all year. So this is the chance, these three games right here, for the Marlins to really tax the Braves' bullpen, which is really important because going into game four, it's Pablo Lopez versus Max Freed. And Freed is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. His curveball is out of this world. Apparently, it's been taught to him through the pipeline from Sandy Koufax, which is pretty cool. That was something I actually got from Pitching Ninja on the Locked On MLB Prospects interview I had with him. Definitely go check that out. We talked plenty about Sixto, but it was cool hearing that story about Max Freed. Freed is really good. If you have a pivotal game four there, you don't want it to be a must win against Max Freed. He went six and a third of shutout ball against the Marlins earlier this season. But if the Marlins can get a Noah out and Cole Hamels out in those first two starts, Tomlin has only gone more than four innings once. The bullpen could be very taxed by game three, and it could be a really good opportunity for the Marlins to jump all over that bullpen that would be pretty used by then if they could at least get Noah and Hamels out, which seems like a pretty attainable goal. And then, of course, game four is a toss-up. Lopez looks a lot better as of late, though he hasn't been throwing his third pitches and fourth pitches much. It's been mostly just fastball changeup, which I don't want to see because against a right-handed hitting heavy lineup, that will not bode well. Uh, that's something that could be a little bit alarming. Let's hope that he uses that cutter more and some other off-speed pitches more because he's not going to get away with a fastball changeup against him. Huge series, obviously, coming up against the Braves here. I'll be all over it on Twitter and episodes after every ball game. So, Definitely come back here. We'll have plenty to talk about. Always feel free to fire any questions you have. Thank you for listening as always. Let's hope the Marlins are able to put it together in this series and clinch their first playoff berth since 2003. Crazy to say. We're seeing teams all around baseball clinch. Let's see if the Marlins can get in on it now. That would be a really special moment. Thank you for listening as always, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.